Welcome to the Events Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and each week I talk with event professionals about how they plan, promote, and run their events. We help you build your events empire by growing your business around live events. Whether you're running small meetups or conferences, trade shows, and concerts, we focus on finding actionable tips that you can use straight away. This podcast is sponsored by EventsFrame. Check it out over at eventsframe.com. Make the switch from Eventbrite today to our amazing ticketing and registration system with no ticket fees. It integrates with all the major payment gateways such as Stripe, PayPal, and Braintree. And we also have the best email integrations out there, including MailChimp, Zapier, Infusionsoft, Aweber, Drip, and many, many more. You can use our versatile website builder or embed tickets directly in your own site. We've got thousands of live events on EventsFrame, ranging from small community meetups to large trade shows and conferences. EventsFrame is especially good for anyone wanting to run multiple events, as you can host an an unlimited number of events on your EventsFrame account. Most ticketing systems charge you a minimum of 3% of the ticket price, but we just have a flat low fee with no ticket fees and no restrictions. There's genuinely no system out there that is cheaper than EventsFrame. So head on over to eventsframe.com for a free one-month trial. And we also have a special offer just for podcast listeners. Email me at dan at eventsframe.com, D-A-N at eventsframe.com with the subject line podcast, and I'll send you a special discount code. So that's all. Let's get on to the interview. Today, I'm delighted to welcome back for his second appearance, a very popular first appearance. It's uh, Will Kunthart from The Lost Estate. Uh, How are you doing, Will? Yeah, I'm great, thanks, Dan. How are you doing? Really, really good. So basically, if people haven't listened to the first interview, I'm going to put a link here in the show notes. It was a really interesting chat with Will, who was a classical music conductor, who then started putting on his own events um, to get himself hired, and then started organizing some immersive uh, experiences through his company, The Lost Estate. And when we left Will at the end of the last interview, he was just about to put on a secret dining experience in London called The Great Christmas Feast based around Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. And it was really interesting because we we haven't, Will and me haven't actually spoken. So for me, it's it's great to find out from the beginning about how it all went because it was quite an ambitious undertaking. So if it's okay with you, Will, we'll get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Far away. Cool. So why don't you start like, what was, um, how did it go with the plannings? I think the last time I spoke to you, it was at least a month out from you running it. Like how how did it start off with the run-up to the the event? And maybe if you could just give everyone a quick recap of of what it is for people who haven't listened to the first episode what was the event yeah absolutely okay so the great christmas feast was essentially the story of charles dickens christmas carol the setting was charles dickens study in victorian london yeah and what it was was an immersive uh, theater music and dining experience uh, at a secret location hidden in the center of london that people came to and they um, got basically everything. So they got the story of a Christmas carol as told by Charles Dickens himself set in his own study and with a four course fine dining menu woven through the entire experience. And that was all created by uh, uh, Natalie Coleman, who was the winner of MasterChef here in the UK in 2012. 
So it's a kind of like, so what The Lost Estate does is, I mean, beyond creating, trying to create amazing kind of storytelling, theatrical experiences, is we try and create complete nights out. So um, in one location, an amazing bar, amazing food, and an amazing show of some description and a brilliant like, location, a brilliant atmosphere, brilliant place to socialize in as well. So we try and basically put together all the key components sorry, of an amazing night out in one single place for people. Because that's often what we find is the, like, the frustration. That's one of the reasons we started the company is the frustration that, that lots of things give you one part of a great night out, but very few things give you everything you need in one place. Especially in London. So, anyway, where, so that was the, yeah, that was a great. Yeah, I was saying, especially in London, where getting from anywhere to anywhere else is always just a, a horrible nightmare, <laughs> generally speaking. Yeah, 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 it can be as well. It can be as well. But I mean, I think particularly that's often why, so, so my big passion, like you touched on, is the fine arts. It's obviously principally orchestral music. Like, like you said, I'm an orchestral conductor by training so my big passion is the fine arts and I found a lot of people the reason why a lot of people don't go to the fine arts in terms of um, why they don't buy tickets for fine art events is not because they don't think that the fine arts are completely amazing I think almost all of us when we see like an opera singer or a great musician or a dancer or whatever we're completely bowled over by the talent and this sort of emotional impact but it's just a really sort of uh, slightly one-dimensional night out if we're looking at the night as a whole it's a really rich experience in in itself but there's no there's no dinner there's no time to talk to your friends all yeah. these kind of really simple they might sound quite facile and quite basic things but actually that's they're what matter to people we've got very limited free time and what matters to us is like the people that we care about and things like that so however wonderful an experience might be if it's not gonna give us that human connection with the people that matter most to us it's, it's not gonna be something we want to do so that was yeah so that's kind of what we that's what we try and do interesting side point it's like i remember like when I lived in London, sometimes you'd have like a theatre menu, like some restaurant you could go to earlier. But it's it's like I wonder why, like say for example, opera companies, why they don't like arrange like deals with some restaurants and somewhere to go afterwards to make more like a whole night out where you can, as well as buying the ticket, you can do this. I mean, I guess they're just not set up to do that kind of experience. Yeah, I mean, it's there. It's there. So like places like the Royal Opera House have in-house restaurants and things like that. I also think it's that um, it's actually all about timings and stuff like that. So I think that's what makes it incredibly awkward. So if a, if a, let's say a concert, which it usually is in London, is 7.30 till 9.30, when are you going to eat in there at a time that's convenient to you? Yeah, it's either too early or too late, isn't it? Yeah, it's either going to be early in a big rush and then, and, it's not, and then the eating is not going to be a social thing or you're going to have to sit there starving till till <laughs> 9.30 and then eat and that's a bit late so you're probably just going to rush it then too and not... It, it sounds really simple and it sounds really basic. It sounds like it shouldn't be a problem but, but that is like how it works and it is a problem. So, so I think that's the thing is that even when places do... Um, offer that because it's not an integrated experience because not every aspect is like sensitive to the other aspects you, 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 it doesn't work out the way you might hope it would definitely so well let, let's let's get back to the story so it's december you've planned this um uh great london feast great christmas feast sorry um and yeah. how you organized it from what i understand is you were kind of had one event a day and it ran for i think almost a month like every day basically from from before till till after christmas yeah so it was, it was from december oh my goodness was it december the 5th i think something like that I think december so, yeah. the 5th till january 
till, till January the 3rd, Tuesday till Sunday, every night. So it was quite intimate. So it was um, 90 guests a night, 90 right. guests a night. So quite intimate. Um, but yeah, so it just ran every single night, Tuesday, Tuesday till Sunday. And um, yeah, in, in terms of how we organized it, so we just have um, kind of three, th four separate teams, I guess, working on every show. So we have a kitchen team. So we have to install um, a whole kitchen, which was quite hilarious this time because we were on the upper floor. We had this amazing like. Uh, old warehouse with a wooden, huge wooden uh, garret top floor. So exposed brick walls and then these big beamed, uh, vaulted beamed ceiling and um, old wooden beamed floors. Kind of amazing for the for the Victorian context. Yeah. Uh, but the very narrow staircase. So we discovered on our first get-in day that uh, the freezer, the new freezer that we've got and the new industrial oven that we've got didn't fit up the stairs. So so we ended right. up we en ended up having to crane them in, which was hilarious. I mean one of the most hilarious things I've ever seen so in my did life. You, did you buy all this kitchen equipment night. or you rented it? Like how did you organize all this? Rent. Right. Uh, rent. Oh actually actually kind of we have a really good um we have a really good working relationship with Natalie. So actually uh, I think we're really lucky in that regard mm -hmm. that she actually she spends a lot of her the money she makes with us investing in new equipment. So so that was her equipment. That's cool. And we kind of like I said we have this um, we have this uh, sort of unwritten agreement or trust that that we're each going to give each other we're each going to support each other as businesses and therefore we're each going to invest in the other if that makes sense. So she sure. kind of so yeah so so she came with with that equipment as part of her set up but yeah we completely that was like the big mistake we made we completely miscalculated that so it's sort of like half past 11 at night we snuck this crane in i'm not sure if we were allowed to but we stuck, <laughs> stuck this huge industrial crane just down um tower bridge and, and, and into the road that we were on and we um yeah we craned we craned a half ton freezer into a second story warehouse wow which was which is quite something through it's an open window London. open window so, so how long was the setup? Like, how long before the first day were you were you setting everything up? So, literally, did it all in four days. So wow. it's very manic, and it's just very fast, all in four days. Yeah, sorry, I got carried away remembering the the flying freezer. But so yeah, no, that's cool. Like, that's that's a great story. Like that's that's what we. That's the best thing about the podcast yeah. is is the stories. You know, yeah, it's pretty wild. So we have the we have the kitchen team. We have the design and build team. So they build the bar, they build the set, install the lighting, all of that stuff, or uh, and the sound as well. So we have that kind of uh, theatre crew team. Then we have our front of house team. So we have the team that are going to run the room and run the, the connection between the pass and the, the diners uh, and also run the bar. And then we have our kind of theatre team. So we have the team that are the people kind of pulling each night and, and running and directing the performance. So we kind of have four separate but connected teams running the, running the entire show. Wow. So how, so how did it go on the first night? Because that's usually the time when, you know, you find that people couldn't find the venue or something. There's always some, some amusing things that go wrong. How, how did it all go when you kicked it off? Well, you know what was, I think I mentioned this in the, I think I mentioned this in the first podcast that, that what was, what we were really looking forward to was the fact that 
this was a lot smaller than the Great Mask Ball, yeah. which was the, the Swan Lake experience that we'd done before, where we're having like 300 people a night in, huge cast, full orchestra as well. It was like, it was insane. Uh, so so actually, actually, it was really, I don't know if this is just because of the kind of comparative nature of what had come before, probably but is, it was actually very smooth from, from day one. From day one, it was it was super smooth. I mean, the timings. I think that show lasted half an hour longer than it was supposed to. I think the first two nights lasted half an hour longer than they were supposed to. But that was really the only uh, sort of effect. I don't know if any diners would have noticed that that was happening. Um, you know, specifically, it just it just happened to be running longer than than we wanted it to be running. But apart from that, everything everything ran ran really smoothly. Cool. So, how what was? Sorry, we'll carry on. No, 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 no. That was it. What were you going to say? No, no. I was going to say. So, what was the like? What was kind of the the experience for, for the attendees' point of view? Because I'm kind of fascinated by these immersive experiences. Because this, to be honest, this was all new to me. This whole world when we spoke last time. So, so what happened? Like they they came and they were told to look yeah. for. I think it was look for the sign of the wreath, wasn't it, or something? Yeah, which I think people really enjoyed. So it's just an unmarked door with a, a wreath that had sort of lights inside the wreath so you could really see it. And it's just on a sort of residential slash industrial, uh, so office not industrial is the wrong word, kind of office slash residential street just down by Tower Bridge. So literally two minutes from, from Tower Bridge. Nailed to the wall was this wreath, uh, glowing wreath. Wow. And then there's just this unmarked door beside it. And, and you just push the door and you'll find a staircase with these lanterns leading up the staircase. And you just follow it up and see what happens, really. Um, so yeah, we had a good lot of people coming in Victorian dress. I think a lot of people love steampunk, don't they? So we have quite yeah. a big steampunk contingent in because of that sort of link with Victorian, Victorian Britain. So lots of people coming in fancy dress and stuff like that. Lots of people coming dressed up sort of just for an evening out, which is great. So everyone everyone really went for it and then yeah so then you you work your way up to the top of this building and i mean we we approach i mean the first thing is we don't actually use the word immersive anymore to describe our work just because i think it's for some reason in london where it's such a big trend everyone has a really clear idea of what they think that should mean and it's really difficult like fitting in with everyone's expectations of what that word means so for some people a lot of people in fact that that word means multiple rooms which is obviously a great kind of experience to make but but for us it's probably not the kind of experience we may want to make because the two things are we want to do really really fine food and if people are moving from room to room to room quite hard for a kitchen to to kind of keep up and deliver really really great food to those people if they're moving room to room and so i think that's just that's something we're passionate about delivering and also because we're passionate about delivering you know our big usp is obviously the music the fact that we're coming from this as really high-end classical musicians uh, the fact that we have that performing pedigree and that ability as musicians that's a huge part of our experience and again if you've got a really whether it's a great sort of uh, chamber group or jazz band as it's going to be for our next show or full orchestra i mean you don't want them running around because again it's going to take down the quality of music that you're able to get so we tend to stick with uh, a smaller number of rooms but it's very much that you walk into the world of the experience you're going to so it's not like you you're sat at some tables and then on the other side of the room is is an area that looks like charles dickens study you're inside charles dickens study and we just we work very hard to make it feel totally totally organic and totally natural that uh, there should be an audience inside Charles Dickens study, which obviously there, you know, there shouldn't be. Um, but we just, we work really hard to weave the audience 
into the experience in whatever way we can, whether that's actually giving them roles. So like, obviously, this is a very intimate one-man show. You just had Charles Dickens. And the, the concept was it was Christmas Eve, and he's writing, uh, he's finishing the final draft of A Christmas Carol ready for the publishers in the morning. Um, so, so in that regard, there was no role for the audience. They were kind of the silent onlookers. But right. quite often, we give audience members roles in a very general sense, like whether they're part of an angry mob or something like that or whether they're as in the swan lake one they were royal guests at um uh, prince siegfried's um not coronation what's the word i'm looking for engagement uh, engagement ball right that's the story of swan lake um so he's having a big ball, ball to find a to find a wife and they were the guests and potential suitors as well um right. at, at, at this ball so uh so yeah that's that's how we kind of try and involve the uh, the audience and then and then yeah i think i think we we're quite open as to what we do so if you've gone to the the great mass ball which was this huge like i said 300 person a night um quite sort of de uh, decadent quite out there quite sort of um risque um experience which had a whole ballet in it and an orchestra in it and there was um yeah all this kind of stuff and then you go to this quite refined quite intimate very intimate uh one man show which was the great christmas feast i mean there's a huge contrast between them i think the consistent things are the that we want to just provide people we just want to tell people an amazing story in a way that makes them feel part of the story and again that we just want to do that we just want to take all our favorite art forms and just fuse them into one that's, so that's kind of that's what we're trying to do that's cool i'm just fascinated by like just just the logistical exercise of this like how yeah, did you cope should, with yeah, people should, leaving early and things like that I should and talk you through yeah shouldn't I? I should talk you through how it how we yeah talk. yeah it'd be great so basically it actually logistically we did it really simply um we did it really simply so so it kind of just went because because um you've got five parts to um christmas carol the kind of introduction um, the three spirits the three visitations and then the finale where scrooge comes good um we just did um action course action course so as, when i say course i mean food yeah um plate of food so we there's four courses and five scenes and actually we we wove the final scene with um uh, the the ghost of christmas yet to come and then the finale where, where scrooge is transformed we did that in one in one go so we got four staves of of acting and four courses and they literally just weave between the two and we tried to because the christmas carol is so full of um foodie quotes and drinks it's even got like cocktails in there like a smoking bishop is something that they drank in um um, in in Victorian England, and uh, at the very end, Bob Cratchit and and Scrooge go for a bowl of smoking bishop, which is basically like a really lovely uh, mulled wine, spiced wine, hot wine. Uh, so, for example, we were serving right. smoking bishop at the bar. But yeah, going back to the food, we just tried to find the quotes that were in the food uh, in the story and create dishes out of them. Cool. So the the one being. Um, the the, the uh, end of the third bit of drama is this amazing, um, is this really heartwarming scene where the Cratchits are all gathered around this tiny amount of food for their Christmas dinner, but like to them, it's the greatest feast 
since time began and, and, and it's this incredible um, experience of, of joy but then also this very touching thing because they have so little but they appreciate it so much then uh, just as Tiny Tim says God bless us one and all to begin their feast out come charging all these plates piled high with like a whole pheasant and potatoes and basically like the Cratchit's feast right. comes out having just having you just been inside this scene of the of Cratchit's feast you know the, the actual Cratchit's feast comes comes barreling out of the kitchen cool. and, and, and you eat it and, and I mean even to the point that they're so meshed that actually Charles Dickens himself carves the first table's pheasant as he's talking about the story so the first the first table out actually eats pheasant that has been carved by Charles Dickens. Right, that's cool. Uh, so, so that's pretty. That's that's pretty cool. And then, yeah, and then again, I think a lot of immersive experiences they really go heavy on on interaction between um, the guest and the performers. And again, that's not something that we like don't do. There is there is a level of interaction, but I think for us it's quite light touch because I think what we really have to offer is, like I said, incredible high end music really high-end actors and acting and yeah this very high level of staged performance basically and and to a degree you can't do sort of free flowing interaction and also give a stage performance so so i suppose we try and we do try and bring people into it so for example there's that i mean every people will know it if they've seen like muppets christmas carol or i mean if they know the original anyway but it's yeah. also a scene in muppets christmas carol as well which is probably the thing most people remember where scrooge and his girlfriend Belle break up and Scrooge just keeps putting it off and putting it off because he's so worried about his finances and so obsessed with business and eventually she breaks it off with him and says you're you're a changed man you're not the man I fell in love with and so because we've just got this one man show we actually bring someone up as part of the monologue to be Belle in that scene wow okay. and we have someone be Mrs Cratchit's stab the bird in the in the scene so so we are i mean we do do interactive things but i think a lot of immersive experiences they're kind of really they're quite light on performed script and heavy on uh ad-libbed improvisation and and so so um which is absolutely brilliant obviously if uh, it's, a, it's quite different to what we do so you i suppose what, what the way we describe it is yeah, go on. No, you know what I was thinking just as you're talking, like about how many of these experiences are in London. I wonder why, like for example, I, I live in Prague, and I wonder why people aren't doing this kind of thing here in kind of you know cities that aren't as as you know big as as London, for example. Because there's almost nothing like that here, and there's a lot of you know increasingly wealthy people and stuff. And that, like for example, I'm surprised people, you or someone else, hasn't taken this kind of thing on the road, done it in London, and then said, why don't we just do you know Prague, Warsaw, or whatever, a bunch of these other cities? Because really, like, it's surprising. How, how you talk about it in London, you know, how it's like really common and, and it really isn't here at all. It really, I'm sure there'd be a huge demand for it. Yeah, it's so, I suppose, I suppose it'll be that person that takes that big leap because you do, you are going to need to run it for like six, eight weeks minimum to, yeah. to make it, to sort of make any kind of return. So as in you, it's quite a hard thing to test. I suppose that's probably the thing is it's quite a hard, because I, I completely agree with your hypothesis. I'm sure there's like a ton of cities around the world that would love this but you've basically got to take a whole sale leap at it as yeah. in you can't sort of test it that's a good point yeah it's not it's not something you could just run for a week so it just wouldn't be economical you've got to run this for for like a you know a long period 
So, so I mean, something that we are, so actually, so we are looking to, we are moving our work internationally. Yeah, I mean, we are starting with huge cities where we know there'll be a demand. So we're talking about things like um, Shanghai or Hong Kong or Singapore in the Far East and then major American cities. Cool. So, that, that, um, so, so yeah, so I suppose probably, I mean, again... No, no, carry yeah, on. Well, sorry, I think I there's, a, there's a delay. There's a slight delay here. So, sorry, I'm not meaning to talk over you. So, carry oh, on, please. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, it's something to do. Yeah, it's, it's my fault. There's something there's something funny about my internet connection today, which has been funny all day. But, um, yeah, I, I, that would probably be how I would do it, is, is we would go to these cities that are kind of no-brainers, like a Los Angeles or, or a Singapore or something like that. And then I would probably kind of build inwards to, to, to cities that are maybe, again, like you said, probably big European cities. There are no more or less risky than London or New York or whatever. But, but yeah, I I suppose it's just that unknown factor versus the level of investment and the level of commitment you have to make towards it. Definitely. So to finish off the great Christmas feast, like how did it go like in terms of your involvement? Did you, did you have to go there every day or were you going every few days? Like did it kind of run itself? I'm curious how it all went. Yeah, this was, that was one of the most exciting things actually from from a, from a uh, back end point of view is that, well, first of all, it's our high, in terms of feedback, it's our highest rated show ever. So that was really exciting. Uh, so, because yeah. so, I mean, I, I I kind of look on things as making mistakes is okay, but making mistakes twice is is not okay. So yeah. so I, I almost don't mind uh, what level of criticism we come in for, as long as the next time we do something, we've eradicated like at least seventy five percent of those criticisms. So it's great to see that we've done three shows in a row in the last year, and each one has been higher rated than the last. I mean, this one for the for the for the show element, the feedback score, average feedback score is something like nine point five out of ten. So so that. That was really exciting i mean i think like the restaurant side of it which is where we're the least experienced because that's the bit we're we're newest to we are performers by trade so we should know how to put on a good show the the restaurant is still it's not i mean when i say like it needs work i think the feedback score came in at an average of eight out of ten or something like that for the food but that we're still learning we're still sure. learning how to do that brilliantly that's great um, so i would say that it's, it's good it's, it's definitely good food but we want it to be exceptional food so that's probably the big focus for the for the for 2019 is to drag that up so that it's at that kind of 9.5 level along with the with the acting and the, and the show and the music and that kind of element so yeah but the really exciting thing is yeah absolutely after two weeks the show ran itself entirely so so I would dip back in just to make sure everything was still at the kind of standards that we'd left it at. But actually, uh, we spent most of December working on 2019, which is um, quite exciting because I know I know that our last two shows absolutely um, would not have worked in that way. Like we definitely couldn't have all three. So there's three of us: there's myself, uh, my two co-founders Eddie and Rowan. There's definitely no way that either of our last two shows could have run without any of the three of us, and and all three of us were for the Christmas holidays we're in completely the wrong city and we uh, still have the show running every single night fantastic so so, so that, that's a great segue into what's next because you mentioned that you're looking to do more events and maybe even kind of run events for other people so what, what what's the plans for the for, for the next stage in your growth <laughs> Yeah, so so two things. Um, so we we're really excited to be launching. Actually, we we literally launched it this week. Uh, people can go and check out lostlovespeakeasy.com. So we are creating a sort of jazz age 1920s uh, speakeasy experience called the Lost Love Speakeasy. So it's all based around the music of George Gershwin and 
that whole just amazing roaring 20s Manhattan world, uh, which is just going to be super, super fun to do. We've got brilliant jazz bands. We're writing an amazing script for the experience. And uh, we've got brilliant, we've got brilliant script writer, Juliet. She's had like plays um, uh, premiered by Royal Shakespeare Company and stuff like that. And then we've, we're working with, I'm really excited about this. We're working with Neil Rankin. Uh, so anyone that's like a sort of uh, into their food and, and based in London is probably going to know Neil Rankin. He's the head chef at Temper. And Temper is uh, like an open fire restaurant. So they cook everything on open flame. Um, they've, they've got an amazing flagship restaurant in Soho where the, 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 the fire pit and the, the grills that they cook on are all in the center of the restaurant. They do whole animal, uh, whole animal cooking, head to toe cooking, which I really love. And amazing vegetarian stuff as well, actually. And they do, they do incredible things with veg on the, on the grill. But yeah, really fantastic, very charismatic, very cool chef who is going to be doing uh, all the food for the experience. So we're going to have this 1920s Manhattan feast. And then, uh, yeah, we're going to be having people come in three different tiers. So we've got like the artists and bohemians of Greenwich Village. We've got the classic flappers and also gangsters in our kind of mid tier. And then we've got, we've got for 16 people a night, we've got movie stars and tycoons. That's the most kind of elaborate audience experience we've ever done. Wow. It's, it's all completely hushed and top secret in terms of that but we, it's literally we can only manage 16 of them a night because it's such a uh, detailed individualized experience for each person like each of those 16 people is going to get a tailored experience yeah unique to their single individual ticket we're really excited about about this one again having like a, a sort of prohibition cocktail bar in there all these amazing themes that we're going to bring out so yeah that's lost our speakeasy that's opening on 10th of may it's also the first show we've not set an end date so it's just going to run indefinitely which is quite quite again it's, it's what we've always wanted to do so that's quite a big step for us cool um i'm just, just checking the website i might, I might actually come across be... it with my wife for this actually looks really cool i'm just checking out the website it looks really really good <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm so excited about this one i just think like again we, we've um bitten off some really massive stories with things like swan lake and what have you and actually i mean this has got a really really beautiful story at its heart but I just, I just really want to get stuck into something that's going to be so vibey and so fun as a sort of, yeah, 20s Manhattan speakeasy. So we've got that. And then we've also, we just this second launched something called Inside the Estate. So Inside the Estate, uh, again, that's insidetheestate.com is our agency agency product that we've got we've had so many people get in touch with us brands that are looking for activations and launches for for products and stuff like that and for experiential events around their products and also people that are looking uh people that are in the events industry that uh want to know how uh want to like take forward their digital marketing and their uh their online brand building this side of things like that kind of whole just digital strategy area which is obviously how we've grown the company exclusively online exclusively digitally gone from zero to uh seven figure turnover in uh, 12 months with no external investment or anything. So just completely bootstrapped an events company to seven figures, uh, just using digital platforms, social media platforms. And I think that's um, something that a lot of people have wanted to find out more about how we do that and have wanted our help constructing their own strategies for digital and online. And yeah, now we have the structure with which to with which to do that. So, so again, anyone that's interested in that side of the thing and 
interested in working with us and learning how we build these kind of viral sellout events uh we've got inside the inside the estate.com as well cool i'll drop a link in in the show notes i'm really curious like the last time we spoke before the uh, great christmas feast you, you've been doing your primary online promotion was facebook you were doing facebook ads and facebook marketing was it was that the same for the great great christmas feast was that still like the number one sort of source of, of sales for you yeah absolutely um facebook and and instagram right facebook and instagram are principal sources so if people want some like little tactical things that I, I've learned through that campaign, I, I always found Instagram to slightly less well than Facebook, I guess because it's more of a kind of platform of looking and less of a platform of clicking through and doing, which yeah. I think Facebook is. Facebook, you're looking, excuse me, you're looking for interesting things to click through to. Exactly. So serving an ad to someone on Facebook just makes total sense if it's a if it's an interesting ad to be serving them. Instagram, I found less, you know, less so because I just think there's more friction there. But something that really, really worked for us is uh, Facebook. Uh, it's not that new, but Facebook introduced, I think last year, maybe the year before, I don't know. This is my first time using it. They launched this thing called Lead Ads, which is where um, a native form pops up inside Instagram and you just fill out your details. So whatever details you as an event organizer want to collect from them, like, I mean, principally their email, I'm guessing, can also collect their phone number if that's appropriate for you. Yep. But actually using using lead ads inside Instagram, I think because it just massively reduces the friction because you don't feel like you're leaving Instagram. It's just this little pop-up. I think I'm right in saying it even self-populates. So, you know, it self-populates with the details that you have with Instagram. Instagram, like your email address in Instagram. Very smooth process. You click submit because you saw this video or whatever for this super cool event on Instagram. You just have to click through this form, put in your email, and then uh, that person's in your funnel and you haven't had to disrupt their Instagram experience which i think everyone wins at that point so so uh, the, a big discovery for me has been in um instagram lead ads i think anyone that's using social should definitely check that out um another thing that i found is interesting this might be i think this is right quite relevant for event organizers in terms of social advertising right because we're tied to a location yeah and for i suppose for the majority of us the audience that's going to be traveling to us from overseas or whatever. I mean, I know in, in the US, there's more of a culture, I think, of like getting on planes and going massive distances just because it's such a huge country. But but I think for the majority of us, the idea of people coming from very far away on airplanes to our events is going to be a really small proportion of people. So we are kind of really focused on quite a geographically limited area of people that are within striking distance of our event, right? That's like one of our challenges is the geography of it. Yep. And so what I found is I've found that, and I, I don't know what your experience of this is, Dan, but like what I found with Facebook marketing is uh, the standard scaling practice of, you know, finding an ad set, making an ad set that is converting at a cost you like, and then uh, just increasing and increasing and increasing the budgets bit by bit by bit every day or every two days or every three days. The sort of standard best practice for scaling a Facebook ad hasn't worked that well for me, as in it's, it's driven up the cost per... Um, the cost per conversion quite quite rapidly. Yeah. Um, and what I have found instead, so what I found, and I'm again, I'm slightly hypothesizing. I don't know if this is a thing, but I think for me, it's because 
we're working with geographically limited audiences. So what I found has really been a game changer for me is creating, instead of scaling a single audience and a single target, uh, a single sort of targeted audience has actually been the creation of like, tons and tons of micro audiences. Uh, so again, rather than trying to like absolutely max out people that are interested in events in London, I mean, there's ways you can target people that are interested in, in going out on events in London it has to be to create like all these little different audiences. So people that are interested in immersive events in London, people that are interested in kind of cosplay and dressing up and that kind of thing, which is quite a big part of what we do. People that are interested in fine dining experiences, people that like love cool cocktail bars. And, and actually, instead of having, say, two or three um, ad sets that we're trying to like increase the budget of bit by bit by bit, we actually instead just keep trying to create loads of small audiences with small budgets and kind of grow our budget that way, if that makes sense. That, that um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's and, really interesting. Carry on, Will. Yeah, that's, that's proven just way better for me because I think then that means that because you've got that small budget, Facebook just keeps sending it to the creme de la creme of that audience rather than because it's probably quite a small audience because you've probably set mm. the geographic targeting to just the city that you're in. It, it, you, when you up the budget, I think you're forcing Facebook to send it to parts of the, send the ad to parts of that audience that aren't ideal. Whereas if you just create all these tiny audiences and small budgets, always small budgets, small budgets, you're just keeping it, you're keeping Facebook serving that ad to the creme de la creme of that particular audience. And then another thing that we started doing on top of that is um, creating unique, um, I think you could do this lots of different ways, but you could do it with UTMs, search in tracking, is it modules, UTMs? Or also another thing I do is, well, I do it now with um, creating a, a unique landing page for each of those tiny audiences, because then what you can start to do is you can start to build um, lookalike audiences. Like I've always had loads of joy with Facebook's lookalike audience technology. That's always, like lookalike audiences um, off of successful ads have always also been successful for me. So then by kind of streamlining all these different, so what I used to do before is we used to be driving everyone towards a particular landing page. So then if we said, okay, Facebook, a lookalike audience of everyone visiting that landing page, we've got this mishmash of people that are interested in cosplay and people that are interested in cocktail bars and all this stuff. Whereas now we're splitting people out to individual landing pages like with unique URLs so that we can then build these sort of really targeted, well, what we hope are going to be really specific lookalike audiences. So a lookalike audience of people that are interested in cocktail bars, a lookalike audience just of people that are interested in, in, in cosplay and Comic-Con and dressing up and that kind of thing, and so on and so forth. So we actually, again, as well as just keeping these audiences small, we actually like really squeeze the most out of our city. Because I always think to myself, like, what portion of people that, let's say, love dressing up have written on their Facebook profile, I love dressing up? Like it's it's not it's definitely not going to be all the people in that no, category. Is it? So uh, so therefore creating creating these um, landing pages that you can then use to generate really specific uh, lookalike audiences out of is has also massively increased the amount of scale that we can kind of build into campaigns. I'm curious, are you using are you using one of these? things like lead pages these like landing page generators or you just have you just got a web designer who's just, just making manually a new page every time you think of a new lookalike yeah so i use divi so i use wordpress and then on wordpress i use divi so how, how do you how do you spell that so was that divi, divi or dizzy sorry i didn't get that divi d-i-v-i d-i-v-i on wordpress that's really interesting 
Yeah, so that's a theme on WordPress. So the con of uh, Divi is that it's slow to load. Right. Uh, but the the pro, it, because because it's got loads of backend features to make it really easy, because of basically all the pros that it has, make it quite slow to load. Um, so you have to kind of work quite hard on that side of but the 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 pros of it are uh number one that you can combine the best of everything so you can it does have a visual editor totally visual editor i have to say i don't use that that much but it has a kind of um uh drag and drop editor and also the code editor so so myself and rowan that are like okay in html and css and all this stuff actually i think we can generate pretty advanced look looking designs and pages using our okay html css knowledge plus uh the drag and drop builder elements that maybe do some of the things that would have been too hard for us to just build ourselves so we can build pretty pretty amazing looking pages and then actually has two really powerful features which is first of all that you can just clone pages very quickly it has this thing called the divi library which yeah. allows you to save features of a particular page into this library and then you can just load them up on new pages so you can clone a page very rapidly and then let's say you can then just tweak that landing page so that you emphasize whatever the elements are for the audience that's getting driven to that page. It's a great product, I think. That's great. I mean, that's good to really good chat in terms of some really concrete tips about Facebook ads and, and Divi. I'm, I'm, I'm going to check it out. I'm looking at it right now and it looks really interesting. I'm, I'm looking at moving our sites to WordPress generally and I'm, I'm just looking for a convenient way to manage things and this could be the solution. Yeah, I think it's great. Like I said, I, I, I still, because I think that we've still got online sort of marketing structure. I think we've still got a lot of things to work on before we ever get there, but I'd be interested to see to what extent you can fix the slow loading times. They're not horrendous. It's not like ridiculous, but but they're definitely not that kind of totally instant loads that you would love to see from your from your web pages. I haven't really looked into that side of things yet because there's still so many things we're, we're refining. But I mean, in terms of that, the only other thing that we are, I, I mean, I can't tell if this is going to work, but something that we are, two things that we are looking to do um, a lot more of is so expanding off um, Facebook and Instagram, going to um, YouTube pre-roll, which I, I never quite believed in that much because at least my experience has always been that that I find the YouTube pre-roll very annoying. But actually, if you, if you take a look online uh, at like Google's, um, or Google's uh, documentation for the ad product, you can use uh, Google search to serve uh, pre-roll YouTube videos. So let's say someone looks up 1920s experiences in London on Google, which actually is a really popular thing. People love speakeasies. People love 1920s experiences at the moment. Uh, I can then serve a really highly targeted almost literally to the point of you have a voice come in saying, are you looking for a 1920s experience in London? You know, this kind of thing, like you can serve them essentially the answer to their search query the next time they go to look at like whatever they want on YouTube, like sports highlights or whatever. So they can then be on YouTube looking at something totally random and they'll actually get the answer to that search query served to them as a... um, as a pre-roll video so that's something i'm looking at i haven't like i said i don't know if it's gonna work but my logic tells me that could be really really effective 
Um, and and yeah, and then similarly on Facebook, another thing we're looking at doing is um, building in like two layered, two layered ads. So for example, going back to that comment I was saying earlier of, um, I'm sure lots of people in London that would love our experiences just haven't written into their profile the appropriate kind of likes and follows and whatever to, to become part of the audiences that we target, which is um, doing things like running a really broad advert, almost to sort of people in the appropriate age range in London, uh, a video all about what the Lost Estate does. So like a, a video about all the experiences that we make and the kind of work that we do and the kind of nights out we create for people and then serving people based off of that uh, a targeted video saying, say, people that watch 75% of that video, then sending them, sending those people a video that says, you know, secret sale now on for the Lost Love Speakeasy. So kind of almost manually taking a broad audience down to a refined audience is also something that I'm going to be experimenting on uh, with over the next month or two. I'd love to hear from anyone that's done that stuff and has had results, but those are the kind of two, in particular, the two kind of new strategies that I'm looking to add to, to my toolkit to see if they work. So I'd be cool. really interested to hear what other people's experiences are. Yeah, if anyone has any feedback for Will, just get in touch. All the contact details are on the podcast show notes. But that, that's interesting. I'm furiously taking notes here. I'm, I'm, it'd be great to check in after you've done the next event and see how this goes because it's uh, especially the YouTube stuff is very, very interesting to me. Yeah, totally. And I'm just, I mean, I'm just like, my, my goal with this event is that, like, I want it to, to still be running in that's like my big goal that you know i mean obviously maybe it has a week off because the performers need a holiday and things like this but but in in the broadest possible sense it like hasn't had a week off between between when it launches on may the 10th and the 1st january 2020 so i'm really looking to like because because facebook is brilliant and i think facebook will always be our core paid paid um advertising channel but but i think to get the volume that we're talking about out there and to get the reach that we're talking about there, we need to start our next stage is to have a, a broader a broader platform away from just Facebook and Instagram. Great. Well, look, that was really, really great chat. Just to finish, Will, you sort of did a bit of a teaser earlier that you were looking at some Asian and US cities. What Do you have any plans like this year, you think, to, to expand into those markets? Yeah, yeah. We'd absolutely love to look at the US for Christmas 2020. Sorry, 2019. Christmas 2019. At least either one US city... So we basically we are looking at um, definitely within the next season. So within the 1920 season that we're currently we're currently just about to start the 1920 season. Sorry, that's the you know 2019 to 2020 season that we're just about to start. That we absolutely we are going to have a show in the Far East and a show in in the US. We are starting to get down to the nitty-gritty on both of those ends i mean there's nothing that i could say specifically right now just because of where those discussions are at but yeah absolutely uh with an ideal goal being that the first international sites will be launching uh christmas 2019 with the great christmas feast that's great just, just thinking about asia kind of a side point but there's I don't, I don't know if you've been to to bangkok but there's a there's a guy there i think he's ashley sutton is his name an english guy i, th I think he's english but he's made a, a few bars there which have these kind of like they're just bars it, it's not like an experience but it's kind of it is like an experience there's one called maggie chews which is kind of like you go in through like a noodle shop and it's like a speakeasy of like an old asian i guess a shanghai style one it's it's really quite cool and there's another one called iron fairies which is um it's almost like something from diagon alley in in harry potter like with like 
like was weird like kind of steampunk you should check it out online but if you're ever in Bangkok you should check out his bars I think you'd probably really like them yeah that sounds amazing sounds, sounds super cool, cool. I well, love look, the well, idea of a sort of Asian style speakeasy. Yeah, it is. It's weird. My friend just randomly took me there because I was staying really close. It's near Chinatown in uh, uh-huh. Bangkok. Really, really worth checking out if, if you're over there. Yeah, amazing. amazing. Cool. Well, look, thank you very much. It's all. It's been a pleasure as always, and I look forward to catching up in a few months and seeing how the the next event went. Yeah, brilliant. I'm looking forward to round three. <laughs> Cheers, man. Do you want to sell more tickets to your amazing events? Events Frame Event Ticketing has been built to minimize the amount of time it takes to buy a ticket. Result? You sell more tickets. Check out eventsframe.com 